Amen. Well, if you would take your Bible, turn to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. Start reading at verse 6 and read down through verse 13. 1 John 5 and verse 6 says, This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. There are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness in the earth, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood, and these three agree in one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record, that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you, that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. The title of the message this morning is The Witness or Record of the God-Man. The Witness or Record of the God-Man. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your word once again this day. Thank you for this day that's set aside for your worship of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us. We pray as we look into this passage of Scripture and consider this subject of the record of your Son, the God-Man, to give us understanding and wisdom into thy truth, that we might uh, fully, more fully understand the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ and be able to share that person and work with a lost and dying world that knows him not. So have your will and way, and may you be glorified. We do pray if there's any in our midst this morning. Do not have assurance of salvation. Don't understand the person of Jesus Christ and have put their faith and trust in him as Lord and Savior. I pray that today the Spirit of God would open their understanding that they might receive thy truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In this passage of eight verses, the words witness... Record, testified, which all come from the same root word, or in our of some form of that same root word, martus, the Greek word martus, where we get our word martyr, actually, but it's really translated in the Bible uh, in different ways. Acts chapter one verse eight is translated witnesses, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. The word is martus, witness. Um, and, and what these words do is that they declare unto us the testimony, they are the witnesses, the record of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, if you go to a court of law to effectively present your case, you need witnesses. You need witnesses, reliable witnesses. In the scriptures, a standard for effective witness is to have two or three witnesses. Uh, Matthew eighteen sixteen says, But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee two 
one or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. In 1 Timothy 5.19 it says, Against an elder, that's another name for pastor, against an elder receive not an accusation but by two or three witnesses. Hebrews 10.28, He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. And somebody said this concerning this passage, quote, The simple record, as in a court of law, is that God has in fact given us eternal life, and that eternal life is resident in the person of Jesus Christ, unquote. And so this is that testimony, this is that witnesses, and we have a, 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 a several witnesses here that are kind of, that are given to us in theologies, or groups of threes. First of all, we have the testimony of Jesus Christ's birth. In verse 6, it says, This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood, and it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. Now, this was this this is a, a passage is a little bit difficult, and and uh, you know there's not much help with commentators because there's not much help with commentators in difficult passages because they don't know what to say. But anyway. Um, so, so uh, you know, I, I, I got a c- conclusive, to me, a conclusive answer for myself this morning after breakfast, and I've been meditating upon this, you know, because verse 6 and verse 8 seem very similar, but I believe they're different. And, here, and, and I'm just going to throw this out there. I'll mention more about this later, but verse 6 says, this is he that came by water. Verse 8 says, there are three that bear witness in the earth, not came, but bear witness the spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree in one. I believe verse 6 is talking to us about the birth of Christ and his person, the God-man, how he is God and man. I think verse 8 is talking about his ministry, and I believe the word water there refers to water baptism, which signifies his purpose in coming, death and resurrection. So we'll look at that a little bit in a minute. But anyway, as we consider the verse 6, though, this is he that came. And I think the, the two distinguishing words in these two verses is came and witness. Verse 6 is the, uses the word came. Verse 8 uses the word witness. So the testimony of Jesus Christ's birth, that is of his coming into the world as a man, the word come means to appear or to make one's appearance. And this is how Jesus appeared, was through natural birth. Uh, through appearance, appearance, it's a very important word, the appearance of a natural birth. You know, we have the witness of water, and I believe, uh, uh, the, the, that he came by water, and I believe that's referring to the physical birth. And, and uh, go to John chapter 3, and I believe that's what Jesus is referring to in John chapter 3. Uh, he, I believe he's referring to physical birth and spiritual birth in that, in that chapter. In John 3 and verse 3, it says, Jesus answered and said unto him, of course he's speaking to Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? So Nicodemus says, oh, okay, so you know, can he enter the mother's womb? So he's thinking about physical birth. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water, physical birth, and spirit, spiritual birth, he, can, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. 
And the wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh or whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. You know, they, they, they tell us now, science tells us now, that unborn babies float in a sack of quote-unquote water for nine months prior to coming out of the womb. You know, when a, when a lady begins birth labor, one of the first things usually that happens is what? The water breaks. They say the water breaks. In other words, that sack of liquid that that baby is floating in breaks in preparation for coming, being brought into this world through the birth. So this is, this is witness to the historically proven birth of the God-man, Jesus Christ, who is the Christ. So he came into the world. You know, Jesus is a man. He's a man. He came into the world through the means of a birth of a woman. The virgin birth. Now, it was a unique, and we'll look at that in a little bit. So, but, it was, but it's a historically proven natural birth. Uh, in John, and he is a man. In First Timothy, and this is one of the verses, I, I use this verse all the time, especially when in answering Catholic people. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, There is one God and one mirror between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. There's only one way to God. It's through the man, Christ Jesus. And the word Christ means that he's the anointed of God. So that's a reference to God, that he is God. But he is also a man. He's a man. Uh, and then chapter 3 of, of uh, 1 Timothy, uh, verse 16 says, And great was the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. God was manifest in the flesh. And here in 1 John, uh, chapter 1, and verse 1, John says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, and we have looked upon, we, you know, we, we've seen him with our eyes, we've looked on him, you know, the kind of, we've looked him over, and our hands have handled uh, the word of life. You know, our hands have handled him. We, we, we've touched him, we've felt him, we, we know he was flesh. We saw him, and we looked him over. We looked him over. He was a man. He still is a man. This same Jesus shall so come in like manner. You know, he still is a man. And he was born, he was born through natural birth like us, and yet, it was unique. So, so we see here he came, he came, the testimony of Christ's birth is, he came by water. He also came by blood, it says, the witness of his blood, verse 6. And I believe this refers to the blood of Christ which was unlike our blood in that it was incorruptible blood. You know, our, our blood is corrupted by the curse of sin. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18. Peter writes, For as much as you know that you are not redeemed of corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, of as a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained for the foundation of the world, 
but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God, seeing you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. Uh, in, in Acts chapter 20, in verse 28, Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, Paul, in his speaking to the Ephesian elders, says this, Take heed therefore unto yourselves, and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. You're to feed the flock of God, which he hath purchased, that is, God hath purchased with his own blood. The blood of Christ, you, you might say, how can someone born of a woman have incorruptible blood? Well, I'm glad you asked. You see, the conception and birth of Christ was one of a kind. It was different. It was one of a kind. That's why he is called the only begotten Son of God. It was one of a kind. Uh, look at Luke chapter 1 and verse 30. Luke chapter 1 and verse 30. <clears throat> Luke chapter 1 verse 30. The Bible says, And the angel said unto her, that it, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb, and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord shall give unto him the throne of his father David. He shall reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? How can I have a child when I'm a virgin? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Of course, this is a fulfillment and verse 37 says, With God nothing shall be impossible. This is, of course, the fulfillment of Isaiah 7, 14, which says, Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew 1, verses 20-23, When Joseph heard about Mary expecting a child, he's thinking, she's cheated on me. She's been unfaithful to our engagement. And so he's going to put her away. He's going to give her a bill of divorcement. And verse 20 says, While he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not, take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. 
All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, shall bring forth a son, they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. So his name, you know, his, his, his uh, uh, earthly name is Jesus, which means Savior, and his uh, God name is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Of course, this also fulfills Isaiah 9, 6. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The son was not born, the son was given. Because the son dwelled from eternity past. You say, okay, preacher, I understand that's what the Bible says, but he was born of a woman. Would he not get her his, bl- his blood from her? The answer is no. In his book, Chemistry of the Blood, M.R. DeHaan, who was a medical doctor who was also a preacher, a pastor, uh, and page 31 of his book, under the, under the uh, t- uh, caption of Mother's Blood Separate, says this, quote, It is unnecessary that a single drop of blood be given to the developing embryo in the womb of the mother. Such is the case according to scientists. The mother provides the fetus, the unborn developing infant, with the nutritive elements for all the the build of that little body in the secret of her womb. But all the blood which forms in it is formed in the embryo itself. From the time of conception to the time of birth of the infant, not one single drop of blood ever passes from mother to child, the placenta, that mass of temporary tissue known better as afterbirth, forming the link between mother and child, is so constructed that although all the soluble nutritive elements such as proteins, fats, carbohydrates, salts, minerals, and even antibodies pass freely from mother to child and the waste products of the child's metabolism are passed back to the mother's circulation, no actual interchange of a single drop of blood ever occurs normally. All the blood which is in that child is produced within the child itself. The mother contributes no blood at all, unquote. And then he goes on to quote uh, some, uh, House textbook of physiology and, and some other books, uh, 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 obstetrics and so on. And, and, uh, but anyway, um, and then, then he says this uh, under the caption, God's Wonderful Vision. Quote, how wonderfully God prepared the virgin birth of his son. When he created a woman, he made her so that no blood would be able to pass from her to her offspring in order to produce a sinless man who would yet be the son of Adam. God provided a way whereby that man would have a human body derived from Adam but have the blood from a separate source. Some have tried to answer the question, how could, be, how could he be sinless and yet born of a woman by making Mary the, Mary the immaculate virgin? That, however, does not answer the question of how Jesus was sinless. It's plainly taught in Scripture that Jesus partook of human flesh without partaking of the effect of Adam's blood. In Hebrews 2.14, we read, quote, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh of blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. You will notice that the children, that is, the human children, are said to be partakers of flesh and blood. And then, speaking of Jesus... This verse said that he himself likewise took part of the saint. 
The word took part as applying to Christ is entirely different from the word partakers as applied to the children. In the, in, in the margin of my Bible, I read the word translated took part implies taking part in something outside oneself. The Greek word for partakers uh, means to share fully, so that all of Adam's children share fully in Adam's flesh and blood. When we read of Jesus, he took part of the same, and the word means to take part but not all. The children take both flesh and blood of Adam, but Christ took only part, that is, the flesh part, whereas the blood was the result of supernatural con- con- conception. Jesus was a perfect human being after the flesh. He was of the seed of David according to the flesh. But the blood is the part of man, which is the divine addition. In the creation of man, Adam's body was made out from the dust of the earth, but God breathed in his nostrils breath of life. Since life is in the blood, this act resulted in the formation of blood in Adam's body. But the first Adam's blood was corrupted, and sin is in all mankind, since God hath made of one blood all nations. In the last Adam and the second man, new and divine and sinless blood was produced in a body that was seed of Adam, and by this resulted in production of divine blood. Conception by the Holy Ghost was the only way the virgin birth could be accomplished. Mary nourished the body of Jesus, and he became the seed of David according to the flesh. The Holy Spirit contributed the blood of Jesus. It is sinless blood. It is divine blood. It is precious blood. For there has never been anything like it. It is innocent blood. As Judas said, I have betrayed innocent blood. Unquote. So, you know, the Bible says in 1 John 3, 5, that in him is no sin. He was, his blood was incorruptible. Testifying to the fact that though he was a man, he was also God. He was 100% man and 100% God. There's a big theological word for that. It's called the hypostatic union. God, man. His blood was divine blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. And his life was the life of God. Therefore, the blood of God. So he came by water, physical birth, natural birth. He came by the blood of God. His birth was with the, with the blood of God. We have also the witness of the Spirit. It says, not by water only, but water and blood. And it's the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is true. You know, the Holy Spirit was a divine agent or means by which he was conceived in the womb of Mary. The power of the highest shall overshadow thee. And the Holy Ghost, you know, he'll be conceived of the Holy Ghost, the Bible says. Uh, that's what was said to, to uh, uh Joseph, <coughs> excuse me, that, that, what, that thing, which holy thing would be conceived in her was of the Holy Ghost. And so it's the Holy, and it's the Holy Spirit that convicts or convinces people that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the God-man, and brings them to receive the good seed of the Word of God that brings forth life, or that is, everlasting life. Again, John chapter 3, and, and then in verse 8, as Jesus continues in that passage, he says in verse 7, Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. Yeah, you need a natural birth, of course, but you need to be born of the Spirit also, Nicodemus. So marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh, and will it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. 
Titus chapter 3 and verse 5 says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. So when one hears the word of God, it is the Spirit of God that testifies to our heart that this is true. This is true. And works in our heart to bring about regeneration and new birth. And so the Spirit and the water and the blood testify the same thing, that Jesus is a man and he is God. He's God. The second witness we have is the Trinity, the witness of the Trinity. Notice in verse 7, For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one. Now, this is a verse that has received a lot of criticism in the last two or three hundred years. Most modern Bible critics say that verse 7 uh, has no authority and was most likely inserted by, by uh, overzealous copyists. Uh, however, uh, Dr. David Sorensen, who has written several books on the Bible version issue and the text of critic issue, has stated, quote, chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, quote, notwithstanding claims of the contrary by those who accept the critical eclectic text, that's the corrupt uh, t- uh, Greek manuscripts, verses 7 and 8, and 8 are indeed authentic and have been received as such by the believing church for the first 1,800 years. Plus. Only since the latter part of the 19th century have liberal leaning critics rejected them, unquote. And that I believe that is a true state. You know, it is my opinion that this is just an attempt to discredit the authority of Scripture and the witness of the Godhead to the deity of the Son of God. You know, leaving out the title of Christ, by the way, is common in modern versions. They leave out Lord and they leave out Christ. That leaves you with a man. And that's all. So anyway, so let's, let's look. If we see the witness, what we have here in verse 7, I believe, is the witness of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. And we call that the Trinity. Uh, that make up the Godhead. You know, we, when we see this Trinity stated clear back in the book of Genesis chapter 1, where God said, let us make man in our image. And the word us, of course, is plural. Uh, and so we have the witness. So let's look at this. We have the witness of the Father, uh, the testimony from the Father. And you, you know, three times in Scripture, at his baptism, at the Mount of Transfiguration, and then in John chapter 12, as, he's, as the Lord Jesus is uh, speaking uh, to his disciples and to those that gathered around him, I'd be the Pharisees were there, and Jesus is speaking to him, and, and, and they, they hear this voice from heaven, you know, at his baptism, it says, This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. In John and Matthew 17, 5, This is my beloved son, hear ye him. Hear ye him. And then in John chapter 12, verses, verses uh, uh, 28 through 30, 31 says, Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people, therefore, that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said an angel spake to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. 
Now is the judgment of this world come, and now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And so the Lord, the Father, the Heavenly Father testified of the Son, uh, gave testimony to the Son or to the deity that he was God. Uh, in John chapter 5, verses 37 and 38, the Bible says, And the Father himself, which hath sent me, hath borne witness of me. Ye have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his shape. And ye have not his word abiding in you. For whom he hath sent him ye believe not. And of course, he's speaking to the Pharisees here. And he says, look, the Father has borne witness of me. At my baptism, there was this voice from heaven. This dove descended upon me. And, 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 you know, signifying that this was the Son of God. And then there's this voice. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. John evidently heard it. He wrote of it. Matthew heard it. John the Baptist spoke about it. They, they heard it. And then in Matthew 17, the three disciples heard it. And then in John 12... You know, it says some people said it thundered. Evidently, John heard the words because he wrote them down. And Jesus said here, Ye have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his shape. Why didn't they hear it? And ye have not his word abiding in you. For whom he has sent, him ye believe not. See, the reason people don't hear the testimony of the Father is they do not believe. In him. Do you ever tell somebody, you hear what you want to hear? You know, people do. They hear what they want to hear. Do you ever try to convince a liberal of conservative views? I mean, a die hard liberal. They don't want to hear it. They don't even want, see, they don't want to consider it. Therefore, their mind is closed. And they will not hear. There'll be no comprehension. Because their mind's closed to it. You know, that was a testimony of the Pharisees. They did not hear the testimony of the Father because they believed not Him. Now, they said they believed in the Father, but they didn't believe whom the Father sent. So how can you believe the Father if you don't believe Him whom He has sent? You know, that's still true today. God sends churches, preachers, and if you don't believe them, that's whom God has sent. That's whom God has sent. So we have the witness, the threefold witness of the Father. We have the witness of the Word. There are three that bear record in heaven the Father, the Word, the witness of the Word. The word, Word is the word logos, and it's not just referring to words on a page. It's capitalized. John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Verse 14 says, The Word was made flesh. This word, word, here, denotes the essential Word of God. It is the personal hypostatic, unique union of God and man. God and man. 
you know, the cause of all the world's life, both physical and ethical, which with the procurement of man's salvation, put on human nature. He put on human nature in the person of Jesus, the Messiah, shown forth conspicuously from his words and deeds. So Jesus Christ is the word of God. He's the God-man. And he testified that he was, that he is the, live, the son of the living God. You know, that's what he said over and over again in John chapter 5. Again, in verse 39, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. They are they which testify of me, he said. Verse 45, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuseth you, even Moses, in whom ye trust. Moses, he's referring again to Moses' writings, the scriptures, and Moses referred to him, wrote of him, whom you say you believe. Do you believe the Bible? If you believe the Bible, then you should believe that Jesus is the Christ. If you don't believe that Jesus is Christ, you really don't believe the Bible. You can't have it both ways. There's a lot of people that say they're Christians but don't believe that Jesus is the Christ. They're good at writing books about it. And Jesus said, the word, and this is what he said, he said, for if you had believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me, and he said in verse 45, do not think that I will accuse you to Father, there is one that accuseth you, even Moses. Moses, you know, when you stand before God, you're going to be accused by the writings of Moses. Because he wrote of me. John 12, 48. Jesus said, while he was here on earth, if any, if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not, for I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. So he came to die the first time, but he is coming to judge. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. He is the word. He is the God-man that will judge the quick and the dead out of his appearing. So when he comes, he's going to judge you again by the word. By himself. He is the word. So we have three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and we also have the witness of the Holy Ghost. You know, the Holy Spirit, of course, as we looked at, testified that the Word was made flesh. And, and you, know, there's, you know, I started writing down verses, and, I, uh, and I'm, I've got like a train, train, train track here going through the New Testament, you know, in Luke chapter 5, for example, in verses 25 and 26, it says, Behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. The Holy Ghost was upon him, as revealed on him by the Holy Ghost, that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit in the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation. The Holy Ghost testified. This is the salvation of God. This is the God-man that I promised. This is the God-man. Chapter 3. 
in verse 22. It says, And the Holy Ghost descended in a body shaped like a dove upon him, and it came a voice from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Again, the Holy Ghost gave witness that his baptism. Uh, in John 16, he, he tells us that the Holy Ghost would teach us all things and, and show us things to come. In Acts, in Acts chapter 1, and I've got to cut some things out here for sake of time, but Acts chapter 1 and verses 1 through 5 says, The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. Notice, these things can't be disproven. They are infallible. Chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it sat upon each of them. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they were dwelling at Jerusalem, uh, Jews, devout men out of every place, and so on. And then verse 14, Peter says, But Peter, standing up in the, with the elevens, lifted up his voice and said, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as ye suppose, seeing as but the third hour of the day. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. That's preaching. And your old men shall dream dreams. Then it goes on. See, the Holy Spirit continued to bear witness that the Word was made flesh. The Word was made flesh. And Peter, of course, testifies of this, uh, that he was, he, well, in chap, chapter 2, in, in verses uh, uh, 36, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. See, the Holy Spirit bears witness to the Word made flesh. And then verse 8 says, And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And I'm not going to take a lot of time in this verse because we've touched on the Spirit and the blood. But the water here, I believe, refers to water baptism. Go to Matthew chapter 3, and this is why I say that. The water here, I believe, refers to water baptism. Matthew chapter 3, verse 18, verse uh, 15. And Jesus answering said unto him, this is, he's saying to John, Suffer it to be so now, for that becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And when Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were open unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove upon him and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I will please. He said, Suffer it to be so for it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. The word fulfill means to answer every prophecy or to fulfill every prophecy. In baptism, Jesus was baptized to picture what he would do 
for you and I. He would die. He would shed his blood. But he would resurrect. He would die and shed his blood to pay for our sin. He would resurrect, assuring us new life in him. Proving, again, as Romans 1, 4 tells us, uh, you know, proving that he is the son of God with power by the resurrection for the dead. But I want you to notice one other thing. We must receive the witness of God. Verse 9. I'm running out of time, but uh, verse 9 says this. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God which he hath testified of the Son. What I've just read is the witness of God. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. Now the word for God here in these verses is the word theos. The name theos. It's from which we get our word theology, which is a study of the person of God. So when he says, if we receive the witness of man, the witness of God, that is the witness of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. They are one. They're all God. They all bear witness to the fact that Jesus, the man that we know was born uh, around 4 B.C. of a virgin, was and is God also. They both bear witness to that fact that he's not just a man. He's God. So the entire Godhead is bearing witness to that. The Father, the Son himself, and the Holy Spirit. We have already seen that. So it's a witness of the Trinity. And it's, there is no witness greater. I mean, we receive the witness of men, right? Every day. And he says the witness of God is greater. That word greater is the word megos. Or we go mega. Mega. It is much greater. Much greater. You know, Josh McDowell, who's one time thought Christians must be, quote, out of their minds, unquote. He put them down. He argued against their faith. Then he was challenged. While he was in college, studying to be a lawyer, he was challenged to prove them wrong. Prove. Prove that Jesus is a farce. So it began an investigation. An investigation that led him to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Then he began to write books. He wrote one called more than a carpenter. He wrote another one called Evidence That Demands a Verdict. He wrote another one called More Evidence That Demands a Verdict. He, 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 again, he was studying to be a lawyer. But in this book, under the chapter title, Are Biblical Records Reliable? Pages 57 and the second and third paragraph, he says this. After personally, quote, after personally trying to shatter the history and validity of the scriptures. 
I have come to the conclusion they are historically trustworthy. If a person discards the Bible as unreliable in this sense, then he or she must discard almost all the literature of antiquity. One problem I constantly face is desire on the part of many to apply one standard or test to secular literature and another to the Bible. We need to apply the same test whether literature under investigation is secular or religious. Having done this, I believe we can say, quote, the Bible is trustworthy and historically reliable in its witness about Jesus, unquote. Dr. Clark H. Pinnock, professor of systematic theology at Regent College states, quote, there exists no document from the ancient world witnessed by so excellent a set of textual and historical testimonies offering so superb an array of historical data on which an intelligent decision may be made. An honest person cannot dismiss a source of this kind. Skepticism regarding the historical credentials of Christianity is based upon an irrational, i.e., that is, anti-supernatural bias, unquote. And of course, there's a lot of other things in this book I could read you, but, but he, you know, he 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 set out to prove that Jesus was not who the Bible says he is. But what he find is there's more evidence to the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the Living God, and He rose from the dead bodily than there is to Aristotle. I haven't met anybody yet that doubts Aristotle was a real person. See, God has given us great witness of his son. And to reject that witness is to declare God a liar. That's a serious charge. Again, verse 10. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. That word witness there is actually referring to the belief of the Holy Spirit. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. This is a serious charge. You know, this is what the Pharisees did. The Pharisees accused Jesus of lying. When he said, I and my Father are one, they, wanted to pick up, they picked up stones to stone him. They said, we be not born of fornication. They accused him of being an illegitimate child. And he said, ye are of your father the devil, a liar and a murderer. He was from the beginning. See, someday you and I will have to stand before the one who has said, all power is given unto me. The one who has said, I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. He came as our Savior. He's coming in to be our King, our Judge. He wants to be your Savior and Lord now. See, we must believe. We must receive the record that God has given to us of His Son. 
Verse 11 says, This is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is unto the Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. And so we must believe that Jesus, the record, that Jesus is the Christ. He is the God-man. If Jesus is just as man that you believe lived and did a lot of good deeds, you're still lost in your sin. Now, you must believe the record that God has given that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Son of God who came not just to save you, but to be your Lord. And the question is, have you in repentance submitted yourself to his lordship. Because he is the Christ. He is the son of God. This is the witness of God. Concerning him. Have you put your faith. And your trust. In him. Do you have that assurance. Of eternal life.